one announcement this week and that the July 4th activity coming up on Thursday, we still need some help. The people to see about volunteering are Anand or Mark Klein, and they still need two people to help with the popcorn machine. Good job. I would take it. Um, also, the two people to help with the snow cone machine, which is a good idea too. And also, uh, one to two people to help with games, I'm assuming for the kids. All right, and so please come and join us. It starts at six, and then the fireworks aren't until 10, so plan appropriately, bring your chairs, bring your bug spray, bring something to do, things to bother your neighbor with, you know, whatever, whatever you need, okay? And um, please, if you could step up and help with one of those things, that would be great. So, all right, um, after we sing this next song, Bob is gonna come up and give us some information from the elders. Um, so in case I forget to say it, kids, after this song, we're gonna, you guys can head off to Sunday school. There's some uh, great verses to deal with heaven, and I'd like to read a couple from Isaiah 6, verses one through seven. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And then over in Revelation Chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing water. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me, and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Lord God Almighty, we have no way of understanding just how beautiful you are for real, how beautiful heaven will be. Lord, we just know that you love us. You love us so much that you had Jesus die on the cross for us, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again, and he is at your right hand, and he intercedes for us. Oh, Lord, we are just humbled so much by that. Lord, thank you for this body of believers that you have allowed us to be a part of. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for your word that you have given us, that it gives us so much hope, so much 
to look forward to. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all of this. I can't stop thanking you. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. because I forgot to turn on my power switch that he told me I should turn on before we started. And I told him, if I'm going to be nervous, you should be nervous. <laughs> so, glad to make you nervous, Colin. <laughs> anyway, from time to time, we have things, developments at Creekside that we want to make you guys aware of. As most of you have probably heard or been involved in and had some level of detail, we've been looking at the way ministries work at Creekside. So um, when Pastor Steve got here a couple years ago, he set about to talk to different people leading and involved in different ministries to find out what's going on here. And we didn't have like a, a list that we could give him of ministries and people. He kind of had to do a lot of detective work. That might be a sign that there's an issue that <laughs> the elders don't know what's going on at this church. Anyway, but he patiently, graciously went through that and we have spent a um, significant amount of time just kind of looking at those ministries, uh, grouping them together, looking at different ways to make them even more effective. We have a lot of gifted people sitting here in this room that are involved in ministry, doing a lot of work, and we want to make sure that it's working as well as it can. So this morning, I'm just going to give kind of a brief overview of the way we're hoping to organize this and have started to organize this so you can kind of see where we're headed with this. I think I want you to understand from the beginning that this is not set in stone or concrete or anything like that. As we go and things work well or don't work well, we are fully expecting to adjust over time. So, having said that, I want to remind us that our mission at Creekside is leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm sure you've heard that before. If you haven't heard it here, it sounds a little bit like what Jesus told his disciples to do before he went to heaven. So I think that's a good thing that that is our mission as well. You can have a mission, but you also need a way to carry that mission out, right? So this is something that we've worked on as well. And it's been around for quite a while at Creekside and Cornerstone. And basically, this looks a little busy, but on the top, you see our mission restated again. And then you see what we value at Creekside. And so on the right-hand side, those things in red, um, this isn't everything that we do, but we want it to be part of, of what we do in ministry. Uh, we want every member to be involved in ministry. God has gifted each of you and me with a gift for the good of the church. And so we're going through this this summer, Wednesday nights, to discover that and talk about ways that, that we can use our gifts at Creekside. We want to be word-driven. It's not our own idea. The church is not our idea. The way we do church is not our idea. There's things, very clear directives in the scriptures. And so we want to, we want to be driven from that. We want to be spirit-empowered. If the spirit's not working through what we're doing, then it's not going to be effective. We want to be focused on the world around us and the community around us. 
and we want to be reliant on prayer in everything that we do. So, having said that's what we value, this is what we want to do. Um, at the bottom it says the way we're going to do this is to invite the congregation we serve to consistently and continuously worship, learn, connect, and contribute. So that's how we think it gets done. So it's not, it's not just a group of people or a person making all these things happen. It's all of us as a body uh, needing each other and helping each other along to accomplish our mission. And then the left-hand side, there's a, a number of measures there. And when you talk about measures, usually you think you could take like a measuring stick and say, hey, we're three feet tall today and we were two and a half feet tall last year. But anyway, we don't have measures like that. We can't stand at the door as you come in and go out and say, oh, yep, you're a worshiper, you're a missionary, you're loving, you're obedient, you're generous, and you get a straight 4.0. It doesn't work that way, but this is what we're aiming for, is for all of us to be worshipers, missionaries, to be loving, to be obedient and generous. So that's kind of an overview of how we want Creekside to work in ministry. This concept and this organization that I'll show you in a minute here is designed to affirm the ministries that have already gone on, both at Olivet and at Cornerstone and now at Creekside. A lot of people using their gifts for the good of the body and for outreach to the world around us. And we just want to affirm that that's going on and build on that foundation. We also affirm the heart of love and desire for making disciples that existed at both churches and now exists at Creekside. So what are we trying to achieve with this? Not an overhaul, but we hope to be a little more organized in what we do. So if somebody comes in, like Pastor Steve, and says, I want to talk to the people in charge of ministries. We know what those ministries are. We know who to, who to direct them to and just be more organized in that way. Uh, we also hope to improve communication and coordination between ministry teams, individuals, and the elders. Um, as we carry out these ministries, we also hope to have clear lines of authority and communication where everybody kind of knows who's in charge for what to some degree and, and that we're communicating across ministries so we're not overlapping, we're not stepping on toes, we're not leaving out people that need to be involved in something that we're planning. We also want discipleship to be part of this. So as there's team leaders, as there's elders, as we're working on ministry, we want new people to be coming into the ministry, learning new roles, uh, using their gifts in either for the first time or in new ways. And then overall, we want greater effectiveness in our mission of leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. So as you'll see on a later slide, we have identified team leaders that will kind of be uh, communication and responsibility points for a family, if you will, of ministries. So we've kind of grouped the various ministries going on at Creepside into uh, kind of like ministries, and then we will have a team leader and an elder liaison kind of communicating, overseeing, coordinating, defining that ministry. So the purpose for the team leader will come up with a purpose statement for that ministry. So here's a sample one for outreach. It says, to lead a team that will organize, oversee, and enhance the outreach ministry of Creekside Church locally and globally. So the team leader will be responsible for 
assembling that team and the people that are currently involved in that ministry. So there's a number of qualifications, and I'm not going to step through all of them. Uh, this information is and will be available, but some of these qualifications are things that you would probably expect of somebody that's in leadership in a church. Their relationship with Christ, their person of faith, integrity, and humility, they can work well with other people, and they are in agreement with the statements of faith of Creekside. So here, again, is a ministry description that will consist of goals and plans, ministry needs, prayer requests that are needed, approval of team members. So the elders will get information through the elder liaison and through the team leader about these ministries and the things that are going on there uh, related to these things. And they will also develop a team that will kind of oversee that family of ministries. And so they'll be defining what roles they need on that team and what roles belong on that team. And again, this is not an overhaul, excuse me, of all of our ministries. This is pulling the ministries together for greater communication, effectiveness, and streamlining what's going on there. So what does it look like? And this is the, the cool slide that you're all waiting to see. <laughs> this maybe gets to the point of answering some of the questions in your mind. And I don't know how well you can see that will blow up parts of it. But you can see Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And then in submission to Jesus Christ, the elders and the congregation make up the body of the local church. So you see Jesus in purple at the top, congregation in blue, the elders in green. Um, and the elders will continue to be responsible for some of the, the, for the things the elders, thank you, are responsible for. See in the columns there those families of ministry that I mentioned. So we will look in closer detail at that. But in green, there are what we're calling elder liaisons for each family group of ministries that will be responsible for going between the elders and those ministry teams to um, communicate what's needed, to look for guidance when needed. And then there is a team leader for each of those overall teams. So I'm going to drill in a little bit bigger. And interestingly enough, I'm also preaching the sermon today, in case you didn't know, and the subject is elders, uh, leaders in the church. So interestingly enough, as I went over to start preparing this presentation, this graphic looks similar to one that, that I had in my PowerPoint for the sermon, so that's a good thing, I guess. <laughs> so the elders responsible for preaching and teaching Membership, visitations, prayer, weddings, and funerals. And this is not exclusively to the elders. You'll see there are also others involved in that ministry. Um, so to go into these ministries that are on the right-hand side and the left-hand side, a little bit bigger picture that you might be able to read. So the ministry team leaders that are identified so far, um, Brent McLaren will lead the deacon team. Doug Elric will be responsible for the adult ministries team. Steve Smith, responsible for the administration team. Mark Bristow for the pastoral care team. Alan Krim for worship arts team. Myself, the interim youth ministries team leader. Uh, we're working on a team leader for that group too. And Anandarla for the outreach team. So if you look at some of these ministries, and this basically will show you the team or the family and the various ministries. We will be sending out an email with these pictures, so I'm not going to step through them all, but it, 
hopefully it kind of gives you an idea of how things are grouped and how that communication may flow. And then the other side of the chart looks like this. So if you're involved in a ministry and this, you see, get a closer look at this chart and you don't see it on here, talk to one of the elders because this is not intended to eliminate any ministries or necessarily start any new ministries, although we could see that happening as a result of becoming more effective in our ministry. So that's that. I know that was a lot in a short time, but hopefully it's helpful to know what's kind of in the works. And if you have any questions, certainly talk to uh, myself, Mark, Alan, Mike, Kyle, Steve, any of the elders, Norb, to ask questions and look for an email coming out in the next day or two with, with that structure. So now I'm going to shift gears here. As we continue our series in Hebrews, as I prepared for chapter 13, verses 17 through 19, I was looking at some various passages regarding pastors, shepherds, um, elders, leaders, and I, I came across this story in the book of Zechariah. Um, Zechariah was a priest and a prophet in the southern kingdom of Israel, and he had, was part of the people that came back into the land. Uh, but things were not going real well for the kingdom of Judah at that time. And one of the problems was that there were shepherds caring for the flock, the nation of Israel, that didn't really care for them. And so uh, God calls them worthless shepherds. And God called Zechariah and said, Zechariah, I want you to become a shepherd of this flock. So the first thing Zechariah did was he took two staffs, and one of them was called favor, and the other was called unity. So it seems like he had a good strategy. He was seeing God's people with favor. He looked on them with care, and he wanted to work for their unity. And the first thing he did was get rid of the three evil shepherds that were supposed to be caring for the flock and were not. Then he set about trying to lead the people of God. And he became impatient, and the people despised him. So he took his uh, staff called Favor, and he broke it. And he said, I'm done with them. And he took his staff called Unity. This one's going to be a little trickier. There, got it. And he broke it. And he said, I don't care. Let them scatter. And then he said to the people that were buying and selling sheep, how much will you give me for being their shepherd? They gave him 30 pieces of silver. And he was told, take that to the temple, and it's going to go to the potter. So this story has a lot of, it is a prophecy. It's in a book of prophecy. But what I wanted to point out from the story is that the dynamic the relationship between leaders and a congregation or a flock and its shepherds is a tough one. It's a challenging one. And so in acknowledgement of that, as we open Hebrews chapter 13 and look at today's verses, I, I have to admit this is a little bit of an awkward passage for me to speak on because it's talking about um, how to treat elders. <laughs> and I'm an elder. And it feels a little awkward, but it's the word of God. So we're going we're gonna to jump into it in a minute here. And let's just open up our time in the word with prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instructions of it and the help of it. 
thank you for this time to be under the sound of it. I just pray that your spirit would lead in our discussion and in our um, listening. I just pray for blessing on it and on this church. Thank you for it and for each one here. And those that are not able to be here, I just pray for your blessing on the ministries of this church as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'll turn with me to Hebrews 13, and I'm going to read verses 17 through 19. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. One of the reasons this is challenging is because we live in a society where authority is abused, where independence is encouraged, where rugged individualism is kind of the foundation of the country we live in, where we're getting ready to celebrate Independence Day. You know, what's greater than being independent? Well, this doesn't talk about independence. It talks about obedience and submission, and that has become almost some dirty words in our culture, I would say. And so before we jump into talking what the, about what this does say, I do want to uh, speak briefly about some objections that might come to your mind you know, and, and some reasons that you might shrink back from hearing submit and obey. And I might shrink back from saying submit and obey. One is our culture. Like I said, we live in a country where individualism, self-reliance is celebrated. Doing our own thing. I did it my way. It's considered greatness. But that's uh, not what we're seeing in this verse. You might say, well, I don't have a personality to follow. I'm just a type A, I'm out there in front of everybody leading, so I don't think this applies to me. You might also say, look, there's been a lot of false teachers. There's been a lot of cults where people uh, mindlessly followed somebody and they could have said maybe that they're obeying this verse. And look how it ended up, it was terrible. Or you might say, look, I know of all kinds of people who have abused their authority and abuse the people that were supposed to be submitting to them and obeying them. And it's true. It's prevalent in all circles, whether not just the church, but, you know, in families, in uh, workplaces, in governments. Um, people in authority often abuse that authority. So what do we say about that? So speaking to the culture, we are not called to be conformed to our culture. We, are, we work within our culture we understand our culture so that we can communicate to people in that culture and bring the truth to them. But we're not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. <clears throat> we get that in Romans chapter 12. On to what your personality is. You know, maybe it doesn't come natural to you to follow or obey. Well, this is what submission means. We have a will. We have an idea. And we subject that to another. And Jesus is the prime example of that. We had in Hebrews chapter 5 that he learned obedience. Even though he was God, the Son, it says, 
He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Jesus pulled back in his authority as God to submit to his Father so that he could accomplish our redemption. And Jesus is held up as the role model for both leaders and for those in subjection. So, if anybody had a place to be a leader, it was God the Son. And he stepped back from that to be led by his Father. And when Satan tried to tempt him to do his own thing, he wouldn't do it. He didn't have a word from his Father that he was waiting for. And then we move into legitimate concerns here. What about false teachers? Well, the Word of God instructs us to have nothing to do with false teachers. So that is a very valid objection that could be raised. And if you see a false teacher, if you're around a false teacher, a false teacher is trying to lead you, you are not to submit to that. Okay? And then, finally, abuse. And here again, I would say, God has not called us to an abusive relationship. 1 Peter 5, when, when Peter talks about how elders are to behave, they're not to be domineering. They're not to be forcing their will. They're supposed to be leading gently, and we'll, we'll look at that in a few moments here. And um, even in other realms, you know, in our place of employment, if we are responsible for leading other people, God says, do that knowing that you have a Father in heaven that you're going to answer to. And in our families, wives are to be subject to their husbands in the Lord. God is the ultimate authority. Authority, yes, it flows from him, but when people step outside of that and they use it for abuse, it's not an authority to be submitted to, and we, can, we could uh, probably spend a whole sermon on that. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to go look at a couple examples of that in the New Testament of leadership where this was the case. And the first one is the, the story of the third letter by John the Apostle. So John wrote this letter to a man named Gaius who lived and went to church in a church where there was a leader called Diotrephes. And Diotrephes wanted to be the preeminent one. And people would come and visit to bring the gospel, to bring God's truth. And Diotrephes would say, no, you're not coming in here. I'm in charge here. And if he heard that somebody else let them come to their house, he would kick them out of the church. Well, Gaius was bringing these people in because they were servants of God. He was disobeying diatrophies. And John actually commends him for that. So this is not the entire passage, but this is what John writes to Gaius. He says, you will do well to send them, and this is the people that were coming to bring God's word and God's prophecy. You'll do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, Jesus, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And then he talks about Diotrephes. He says, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority, and he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. So there's an example where John gives a clear instruction to somebody in church where there's an abusive, power-hungry leader to obey the Lord and serve God's servants. Now, Another exception to address, and this would be a case of sin and or probably false teaching on the part of an elder in 1 Timothy 5.
Paul writes to Timothy and says, do not admit a charge or don't accept a charge against an elder unless it's on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So I just take a little detour on that to point out that God does recognize that we as human beings are flawed. And some people that would take a position of leadership in the church may not even be Christians. And so those are not the kinds of leadership that we are to follow in the church. It's not step inside of a church building and check your brain at the door, if you will, or check the spirit at the door. We need to be led by the spirit ourselves. So it may be a little backwards, but I thought I would address the exceptions first. And then I also want to talk about the fact that God has designed leadership in the church and qualifications of elders to avoid those situations. So First Peter, in chapter 5, Peter talks to the elders in the church and he says, I exhort you, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, not because you're forced to do it, but because you want to do it. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, not for things that you want for yourself, not to abuse people or make them serve you or make them line your pockets, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, and that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So the characteristics and the job of an elder is, is care, just like a shepherd for the sheep. He's looking out for their safety. He's looking out for their feeding. He's looking out for their rest. And that's the job of an elder. An elder is to do it willingly, not being forced into it. Um, he's to be seeking gain, but holy gain for the flock, as, we'll, as we saw in these verses. And he's to be humble, not lording it over people. And then finally, as an example to the flock. So what an elder teaches, that should he also preach. No, what he preaches, he should practice. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So, and that's, that's another reason it's a little awkward for me this morning to get up here and, and talk about this because I'm aware of my own shortcomings. So, bear with me as we go through the Word of God. So, let's get back to our verses here, verses 17 through 19. And I want to zero in on verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the goal of this church and leader relationship is joy and advantage. And, you know, when you, when you see the promises of God, uh, you'd have to say, what's not to like about that? What's not to strive for about that? And there is plenty that comes against it because there's groaning and disadvantage available, too, as an option for this relationship. But when good leaders have joy over how we obey, there's advantage for all at the end of the day. So that sounds a little corny, I know, but I thought that might help us remember what the point of this verse is, that when good leaders have joy over how we obey, there's advantage for all at the end 
of the day. So let's just step through how this verse shows this happening. And this is the picture that I've, I noticed looked a little bit similar to uh, the picture that Mike had drawn for the ministry organization chart because you are referred to here. Remember your leaders, and that's actually a plural you, so I, I could have and probably should have put multiple people there. Um, and specifically, our souls are called into um, attention here. And then there's leaders, and that's plural as well. And then there's Christ, who is alone, the head of the church. And Peter calls him the chief shepherd. So I depicted him with a shepherd's crook and a crown as the chief shepherd. So there's a relationship then between these three parties that are mentioned. And then we see that there are responsibilities going back and forth. So the leaders are to watch over your souls. So our soul is the part of us that exists beyond our body. Elders, church leaders, are not to be looking out for your health and wealth and prosperity. They're to be looking out for your spiritual prosperity, for the well-being of your soul. And that's what good elders are keeping watch over towards the congregation. And then the other direction, there's this instruction to obey your leaders and submit to them. And I want to just take a little look at some of these words that are used here because I found it kind of intriguing to see what, what some of these words in Vine's uh, Bible dictionary, what they mean. So obey, first one, patho. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, but that's how it looks to me. It says to be persuaded, to listen, to obey. The obedience resulting from persuasion or trust. So can you see how this word obey here will protect us from evil leaders? See, leaders are expected to earn trust. And so when we take a place of obedience, we should be obeying, understanding that we are still in obedience to God our Father and to our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't step outside of obedience to Jesus as our Lord and God as our Father in order to obey our leaders. I just want to be kind of clear about that. Now, we may have differences in how we interpret things, you know, or how this gets carried out, but then that's perhaps where submit comes in, hupeko, uh, to retire or withdraw or submit. And when I read that, I saw the fact that, you know, we could all be working individually for the same goal. But if we have no leader, will it be successful? or we have no leaders, will it be successful? You know, a, a D-Day invasion on Normandy, if they said, we're going to invade, and here's where we're going to invade, everybody go, prepare to invade, it would have been even more chaos than it was, right? It wouldn't have been a lead effort. This also reminded me of a story I heard, you know, speaking of going ahead, sometimes we can go ahead of the leaders and still have the same goal, but I heard a story about a man who would take his nephew hunting every fall, and he would go to his friend's uh, dairy farm who let him hunt on his farm. And so he'd bring his nephew there, and every time he would check in with his friend who owned the land and say, you know, we just were hoping to hunt today, is that okay? And he would say, yeah, great, let me know how it goes. 
So this one time he stopped by with his nephew and uh, he went into the house, left his nephew out in the truck. He's like, uh, can we go hunting today? We were hoping to go hunting. And the guy's like, yeah, that would be great. But can you do me a favor? Bessie, she's been, she's my oldest milk cow and she's been suffering a lot. The vet says she's not going to make it um, and she just needs to be put down. And so I'm wondering, you've got your gun. I can't bring myself to put her down. Could you just, on your way out to the timber, could you just stop by and put Bessie down? So he's like, yeah, I can do that uh, for you. I'd be happy to, to take care of that for you. And he was, this guy was kind of a mischievous man at heart. So he immediately had this plan that he thought it would be kind of fun to pull on his nephew. So as soon as he steps out of the house, he goes run into the truck, jumps in, slams the door, and he says, that stupid guy, he said last time we were here, we shot one of his cows, and he's not going to let us hunt here again. And his nephew got all upset, too, and just very furious. So he slams the truck in reverse, backs out of the driveway, squeals his tires, heads down the road, sees Bessie out in the field, pulls off, slams on his brakes, shoves it in park, jumps out, grabs his gun, hauls off, and shoots Bessie. And he was just getting ready to turn around and see how his nephew would respond to that. And he hears, boom, boom, when two more cows go down. <laughs> and his nephew says, we showed him, didn't we, Uncle Charles? <laughs> see, you can go uh, thinking you're going with the same goal, but if, if you're not following the leader, you might actually <laughs> not accomplish the goal. So that, that was kind of a... Um, only slightly relevant story, but it came to mind, so it shows you how I think, right? So the last word here I wanted to look at a little closer is our souls. The immaterial, invisible part of man. And this is what elders are charged with overseeing and building in us. And so, like I said before, it's not that elders are looking for gain. It's not that we're looking to build a dynasty or a megachurch or whatever. We're looking for the gain, for the good of the souls of the members of the church. And this really convicted me as I started studying for this passage because I feel a need to be stirred up in that, to have a deeper care for your souls. And I confess that to you, particularly maybe in the last year, I've, I've become more self-focused, and I apologize for that. And by God's grace, that will change. <laughs> so, but we love you, and we care about your souls. So let's continue on with this picture here to see, because there's, there's something else here. We haven't talked about Christ's role in this. The elders, the leaders of the church, have a responsibility to give account to Christ for your souls. And there's two ways that this verse talks about elders being able to give account to Christ. One is uh, with joy. And the other is with groaning. So, you know, you could think, and we'll, we'll look briefly at, at John, but he talks a couple times about the joy of seeing his children and others walking in the truth. And so, when 
the body, the members of the body of Christ are walking in the truth, there's joy for those who lead them. And when they're not, there's sorrow likewise. And so the writer of Hebrews says, when they give account to Christ, let them do that with joy and not with groaning. Because if they are groaning, that's not for your advantage. So what we seek is joyful advantage in this elder church relationship. Joy on the part of the leaders, advantage of the members of the body, the members of the local church. And so, you know, you you see things in our ministries that are designed to build up the souls, to spread the gospel. Uh, Awana, youth group, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, Wednesday nights during the summer as an opportunity to learn what your gift is and how you might be able to plug that in at Creekside. And so that's the goal and that's what we give account to God for. And if it resonates in your soul, if it bears fruit in your soul, there's profit. Not only for the elders, but for you. It's to your advantage. And while the Apostle John talks about the joy he had in seeing those that were walking in the truth, I think of Moses and how many times he had to stand before the children of Israel and God and defend them, even though they weren't doing well. And, and sometimes he would say, Jehovah, Lord, I know, you know that, that they're doing the wrong thing, but you know what? Everybody's watching them. They saw you bring them out of Egypt. And if you kill them out here in the desert, people are going to say, what kind of God did they have? And Jehovah you're a greater God than that. So as a leader, Moses had some groanings on behalf of the people, and it did, it did get to him at times. We know that. But um, that was not an advantage to the children of Israel because he had to give an account with groaning in spite of the fact that Moses was a good leader. So when good leaders have joy over how we obey, there's advantage for all at the end of the day. So I just want to look at those verses um, in the epistles of John, the letters that John wrote. Uh, Second John, he says, I rejoiced greatly, so there's the joy, to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we are commanded by the Father. And then again in Third John, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So what kind of a, a report do we want our spiritual leaders to be giving to the chief shepherd of our souls? So there's a couple more verses in our passage, verses 18 and 19, and, and I, I want to touch on those uh, briefly as well. It says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. So we had the the leadership and we had the members of this local church, but now this is somebody else. This is somebody outside the local church, and and we don't know exactly who the author of, of this book, this letter was, but whoever it was was no doubt traveling around. Perhaps they were a missionary, uh, a prophet that went around and and helped people understand the word of God. Um, We don't know for sure what their role was. But when they asked for prayer, they were clear that we have a clear conscience. So this made me think 
that there are ministries outside of uh, a local church. There are missionaries that go out into the world, often alone. Um, there are, you know, campus ministries. There's um, ministries like Freedom for Youth and Family Life that seeks to build up Christian marriages. So as people are involved in ministries like that and they ask for prayer, it is important that we can say, I ask for prayer with a clear conscience. I believe that what I'm doing is what God wants me to do and that I'm in obedience to him as I do it. So I am not squandering your prayers, if you will. So I think it's important as we consider involvement with other ministries that, that we look into that a little bit. Is this a ministry that has a clear conscience, if you will? Is this an individual who is using their time diligently and being a good steward of it uh, for the gospel as they ask for our support in prayers and, and perhaps financially as well? And then finally he says, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. And so that requires, I think, a little speculation to know what the author is, is referencing there when he says that I might be restored to you the sooner. One possible scenario is perhaps this individual was in prison and wanting to come back and be able to be a help to the local churches around that region. Maybe there was some other thing detaining him, sickness, whatever, but he wanted to be able to come back and see them. So we see this affection that binds God's workers and we see the care that good leaders have for the membership of the church. And we see the obedience and submission of those who have chosen that place in a local church. And it's for our joyful advantage. It's, it's a blessed thing to, to seek. We're going to take communion here in a minute. The band will come back up. And I'm going to give thanks for the bread. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus... We welcome you to come to one of these two tables or in the back and partake of the bread and the juice in remembrance of Jesus' body and his blood shed for us. And let me just give thanks for those right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body given for us. Thank you for your blood shed to atone for our sins. We give thanks for this loaf and for this cup that reminds us of those things. Thank you for your word and the instruction of it. Help us to grow in our obedience to it and our love and submission to one another as members of this local church. And I just thank you that you care for us and we would look to you as the head of your church to lead us. And we just give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, as we bring our offerings before you today, we confess that all that we have, all that we are, all that we hope to be comes from you. Father, all that is good in us comes from you, our good, good Father. And so, Father, we bring back to you a portion of what you have so liberally and so freely given us 
for the advancement of your kingdom. Father, we pray that you take this offering and use it for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.